If you'll turn with your Bibles, let's look to 2 Corinthians 8 as we continue our study on the power of God and our weakness. Today we'll look at God's Word, chapter 8, verses 1 through 15, an amazing text uh, that God has for us. It's one of those texts which is so good, it's like uh, teed up for every preacher. And some of these you're like more nervous than ever saying, Lord, you got to get this. So please come and speak. Uh, Make sure that preacher doesn't mess this one up and make it unclear because what you have for us is an amazing God who's gracious and giving. All of us need to hear that. I don't know who you are and where you've been this week. I know many of you, but some of you I don't. I know for all of us, this is what God has for us to tell us he loves us and remind us what he's done for us. So let us pray as we go before him in his word. Father God, thank you for the joy of gathering in your name, the joy of knowing your son Jesus as our Savior, the joy of being filled with your Holy Spirit. It's a joy that will not go away no matter what our circumstances. We thank you so much, that, uh, Father, that uh, you have given us all you can through the life, death, and resurrection of your Son. You couldn't give us more than you've given us. And now it's our privilege to live in response to your grace and to your gift, to your Son, empowered by your Spirit, guided by your Word. Father, we ask that you give us a vision of you, that you give us a vision of you through your Word, because the more our vision is of you, the more our life is shaped by you, the more that we are the aroma of you, and the more we live in a manner pleasing to you. Jesus, come, here we are. Awaken what is inside of all of us. Tune us all into the good news of the gospel. For your glory, we pray. Amen. As we look at chapter 8 and 9, there's, there's an obvious shift that's taking place in, in Paul's letter to the, Second Corinthians, uh, to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians. He obviously is uh, going to now kind of launch into something like the grace of God that is found in the face of Jesus that radically changes everything. He's going to use an interesting phrase. He's going to talk about the grace of generosity. He's going to talk about the the grace of giving. And it really, it doesn't have so much about our giving, although that's a part of it. It really always is emphasizing God's giving. A God who gives and gives and gives and lavishes and loves. That's the God we have. And it's our response to respond to that God. Let me give you a quick background of what is happening. Uh, There's a gift that's being collected that Paul and some of his partners like Titus, they're going around the churches and they're the churches that they've started mostly and they're collecting a special gift. This is, this is more than like a tithe. This is a special offering. And the gift specifically is for those who are back in Jerusalem who are being persecuted. It's for the church in Jerusalem. It says the saints in the text. And sometimes we get confused today. What are saints? Are those people we pray to? Are those people who had a certain lifestyle that made them somehow a saint? 
when the Bible talks about saints, he's talking about you and me in Christ. He's talking about the church. That's us, believe it or not. That's who we are in Christ Jesus. So uh, this special gift is being collected for those who are poor. It's kind of like a deacon's offering, if you will, uh, for those in Jerusalem. And uh, the, the church at Corinth had started to give. As a matter of fact, Paul tells them in 1 Corinthians 16, on, when you gather on the first day of the week, that's why we worship on the first day of the week, uh, take this offering up for those who are in need. He mentions more about it in, in uh, Romans 15 and Philippians 4. But something happened with the church at Corinth. Maybe their circumstances got such where they stopped giving. They stopped uh, really kind of proceeding to this. And Paul is saying, listen, don't, don't stop giving. Uh, gather this because really it's the grace of God that's given you so much. So, you know, a preacher's always a bit nervous when we're talking about a text that's so much focused on giving. But really, this is so much focused on two things. God's grace, what he's done for us. The word grace is going to be used 15 times in the next two chapters. It's going to be used eight times in the first 10 verses of this text alone. We realize it's all God's grace that he's given us all that we have. It's interesting because uh, uh, what Paul is going to do is he's going to make reference to churches in Macedonia. Uh, The churches in Macedonia, here's what they had going for them. They were dirt poor. I mean, it says that they were in the depths of poverty. I mean, absolutely dirt poor, and they were afflicted. I mean, life had beaten them up. They were two things, poor and picked on. The churches in Macedonia were poor and picked on. Let me tell you, it's like Thessalonica, if you've heard of that. Uh, It's Philippi. It's Berea. These are the churches in Macedonia, uh, according to the Bible. And so they were in this terrible situation, poor and picked on. And yet they had, ready for this, abundant joy. Isn't it amazing that in the midst of our struggles, you can have abundant joy. In the midst of their poverty, their deep depth of poverty, they had something that Scripture says, a wealth of generosity. What could Jesus have done for them? that could give them such joy and affliction, such generosity and poverty. And so it was this example that, that Paul was kind of pointing to, to the church at Corinth, saying, look at all the junk they're going through, but look at what they're doing. You know what they were doing? They were begging for the opportunity to give. This, my friends, is the pastor's greatest dream. Are you kidding me? I mean, what do we think of pastors begging you to give? And what is this church doing in the midst of all they're going? They're begging, saying, we want to participate in what God is doing. Give us the privilege of advancing Christ's kingdom with our lives, with our gifts. They were begging the opportunity to give and be a part of what God is doing. And God is saying, uh, Paul is saying to the church at Corinth, look at these guys. But let me tell you something. He's saying something more. Don't just look at a church. Look at Jesus Christ, who was rich but for our sake became poor, so that through his poverty we can give. So out of their extreme poverty and abundance of joy, they overflowed with a wealth of generosity. Let's pick up the story now that we have the background. 2 Corinthians 8, we'll read today verses 1 through 15. God's inerrant word, it'll never lead us astray. Paul writes to the church in Corinth and through the Holy Spirit to you and to me. Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia, which really the word kindness there is God in his grace 
has done for us. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. I mean, it really says in the Greek, they are poor to the depths. They're dirt poor, but they're also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it on their own free will. I mean, they begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gifts for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we hoped for their first action. Well, the first thing they did was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. So we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish the ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways, and it's talking about the church here in Corinth who excels in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel also in the gracious gift of giving. Do you excel in that? I'm not commanding you to do this, but I'm testing how genuine your love is, comparing it to the eagerness of other churches. And here's the thrust of of the entire passage and really the entire Bible. For you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you could be made rich. Here is my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you have started a year ago. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give, and you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly, and you give it according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easier for others and harder for yourselves. I only mean that there should be equality. Right now, you have plenty and can help those who are in need. Later, they will have plenty and can share with you when you need it. In this way, things will be equal. As the scripture says, and he points here to Exodus 16 and the gathering of manna, those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered a little had enough. Again, let us pray. Father, we need to understand this. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to believe, and feet to walk in obedience. In Christ's name, amen. If you want to follow along in your bulletin, you'll see an outline there. We're going to see the grace of God the grace of God that is given to us so freely, beautifully loving through our Lord Jesus Christ, the grace of God that, it, that uh, transforms our extreme poverty into a wealth of generosity. There's three things we're going to see with that, uh, that only thing by God's grace that can, tr- can transform our poverty. Maybe that's spiritually, relationally, emotionally, financially, anything that can transform our extreme poverty into a wealth of, of generosity, of giving back to God, is three things. It's empowered by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, it's experienced by giving ourselves first to Christ, to the Lord, to God. And then experienced by giving ourselves to Christ 
and his kingdom. What Paul is talking about here is something radically different than just giving a little bit of your excess. Paul is talking about gospel giving. He's talking about responding to God in a way that is not based on our external circumstances or reality. Think about this with me, my brothers and sisters. Gospel giving, according to this passage, because these Macedonia people were under severe affliction. They were in the midst of amazing deep poverty. And we see that gospel giving isn't based upon external circumstances or reality. There was something else that was happening in their life. And gospel giving, the giving that God is calling us to, is based on an internal and eternal reality. And here's how. The gospel of Jesus Christ, what God has done for us through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, has changed everything. How is it with you? How is it you when it comes to giving, especially a special gift? Is it typical like it is for me? Well, what's in the bank? What do I have? What do I have to spare? What do I have to give that really won't affect my lifestyle? What, what can I give not knowing what's around the corner tomorrow? I got to make sure. But they, they had a completely radical different mindset when it came to giving. And now, not just their resources, but their very life. And it was profoundly impacted by what Jesus has done. And I got to tell you this, is that Jesus to them was much more than just a moral example. Sometimes we look at the life of Jesus and we see, okay, that's what Jesus has done. And we wear bracelets that tell us what would Jesus do and maybe say that therefore we have to live our lives in alignment with him. But that is true in a sense. We are to be imitators of God as dearly loved children. But do you know Jesus came here to be a whole lot more and for a whole greater reason than just a moral example. I mean, God didn't send the sun down here to be the moral high watermark for all of us to follow and strive after. God did something so much greater for us through Jesus Christ. He actually gives us life. He actually gives us forgiveness. He actually changes in Christ Jesus. There is something that happens. It's a radical transformation that takes place inside of us. That there's a completely new creation created and a completely different stance of our poverty and our riches. You see, in Jesus, our spiritual economic position radically changes. He says that without him, we are poor. I mean, spiritually, we're poor. Without him, we don't know God. And without knowing God, we don't ultimately know ourselves. So in Jesus, there's this amazing transaction that takes place. It says those who are poor, Scripture says blessed, by the way, are those who are poor, poor in spirit, poor who know that they need a savior named Jesus because when they find him, they become rich. We have to also realize that sometimes in our culture that talks about that in Jesus we have riches, that that means it's all going to be material riches. And that's certainly not the case. Look at these folks at the churches in Macedonia. They were in dirt poor circumstances, yet they were rich in Christ Jesus and his love. It's amazing. They, they knew their riches was something so much more than earthly. 
They went from empty to full. Empty still might be what their checking account said. Empty might still be what their cupboards had. Empty might still be what the world says. But in Christ Jesus, they had a fullness a fullness of God's righteousness, a fullness of God's love, a fullness of of being aligned with him. In Christ Jesus, they've had more than just a moral high standard. They've been taken from death to life. I mean, all of us, it says in Scripture, are dead in our trespasses in life. I mean, we're dead uh, with no hope for life in Christ, life with God. But in Christ Jesus, those who were dead have been made alive. Isn't that such amazing good news? You see, in Christ Jesus, they've gone, as what Scripture says, by nature, children of wrath to children of love, to lavish children of God. As we examine what is before us, we see that in the DNA of the gospel of Jesus Christ is giving. You want to know about the gospel, what it's all about? Here it is. It's about a God who gives. If you start with Christianity about a people who give, You've completely missed it. It's not Christianity. Christianity is all about a God who gives. A God who gives and gives and gives and gets ridiculous pleasure out of giving and can't give anymore. The gospel of Jesus Christ is basically this. It's a God, the Father, who gives to a world. He so loves the world that he freely gives his only begotten son. The DNA of the gospel of Jesus Christ is giving that the, the Son of God is who will so love us that he would give his life up for us, Galatians 2.20. It's about a God who would love us enough to come and rescue us, give us his life, give us his righteousness. It's a Holy Spirit that comes and gives us the love of the Father and the work of the, of the Holy Spirit. You see, in the DNA of the gospel of Jesus Christ is giving, and the church of Macedonia got it. But how does the gospel need to be responded by us? The gospel begins with us giving ourselves first and foremost to God. Have you given yourself to God? You see, before they did anything, it says, the first thing these folks in Macedonia did, before they gave a dime, before they had anything, they gave themselves to God. And something tells me that their circumstances put them in a great position to do it. They didn't have much. And they didn't have much, and they had just poverty and affliction, and they just heard about a God who gives and a son who forgives. And they heard about the fact that there's a God who could not just love and forgive them, but place them in the family and give them riches that they couldn't even dream of more than they could ask or imagine. I imagine that church didn't have a lot to let go of. I imagine that their hands were pretty empty and pretty ready to receive. And I think that's what Jesus is talking about when he talks about blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor because, you know what, they're not not hanging on to stuff to be their identity. They're not hanging on to stuff to be their security. They're not, they're not hanging on to stuff to make their name. They're not hanging on to stuff thinking that this world is going to really fill the void that God has created, making them in his own image. And there's just a blessedness of poverty, poverty of spirit. 
I think, I think the reality is we're a church here that lives uh, even through the difficult economic times that we're living through. Is anybody really here? Maybe a few blessings to you, praying for your daily bread. I mean, really, is anybody today really gonna leave here and not know where lunch is coming from? If it's you, blessings to you, let's talk. But for the rest of us, for the most part, I mean, even in the midst of these economic storms, I mean, let's be honest, I mean, how much stuff do we have? I mean, right? I mean, how much stuff is in our hands? How much stuff is in our lives? And how much stuff gets in the way of us first giving ourselves fully to God? That's where they were. I mean, I mean they just say, we're all in. We're, we're giving ourselves first and foremost to God. But I want you to begin again with the gospel. It doesn't begin with them. It begins with God. It begins with Jesus who's given everything he can to God and to, ourself, and to us. Let's look at Philippians 2. Philippians 2 verses 5 through 11 uh, tell us about this incredible ministry of Jesus. And a matter of fact, Verses three through five tells us that we should have a similar attitude. But in Philippians 2, 5, it says this, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, I mean, Jesus fully God becomes fully man. He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and it was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Man, he couldn't have emptied himself anymore. I mean, what this is saying to us is Jesus, who was rich, this is how he became poor. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. The name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, the gospel begins with giving yourself to God. And it began with Jesus giving himself up to God for us. It's true of us to be first and foremost giving yourself to the Lord. That's, that's where we begin. Then after we give ourselves to the Lord, we give ourselves to God's agenda, to what God has for us. Paul says it this way, the church of Macedonia, he, they first gave themselves to the Lord, then they gave themselves to us, which basically is saying they've given themselves to Jesus and then they said, Jesus, you're our Lord and King. We now live for Christ's kingdom. That's the language your pastor often uses that we got to be in submission to King Jesus, on mission for King Jesus. We first give ourselves to King Jesus. We're in submission to him. You are my king. You are my Lord. You are my savior. You are my alpha. You are my omega. You are my identity. You are my joy. You are my life. And then if we give ourselves to Jesus, we find life and life abundantly, forgiveness, reconciliation, joy in the midst of severe afflictions. And then we give ourselves to his agenda, his kingdom. We're on mission for, for Christ's kingdom. Orangewood, the degree of our giving ourselves to God will be in direct correlation with the degree we give our resources to God. Do you hear what I just said? I mean, really, how much are you giving yourself to God? Well, it'll be in direct correlation to your resources. 
I mean, it really will. I mean, that will be the best barometer litmus test for how much have you given yourself to God? How about with your time, your talents, your treasures? The beautiful reality about the gospel is this. If you've given yourself to God, you've already given your possessions. If you've given them all things, it's a lot easier just giving them the smaller things. Jesus can't have our money, really, or our time or our treasures without our hearts. And he can't have our hearts with our time, talent, and treasure. In the DNA uh, of the gospel, it starts with giving. It's also the blessedness of poverty. Really, it just puts us in that, that position to give and receive with open hands and open hearts. We look at the church in Macedonia, and we ask the question, what gives someone such joy in the midst of affliction and generosity in the midst of poverty? They found a treasure greater than their circumstances. Have you found that treasure? They found something in Jesus called the pearl of great price. They found something in the beauty of Jesus that was greater than anything the world had to offer. They found something in Jesus, a treasure that would never spoil. They found something in Jesus, a treasure that the market could never touch. They found something in Jesus, a reason to live beyond themselves. They found it in Jesus. How is it with you? Have you given yourself first and foremost to the Lord? Are you giving yourself to the Lord's agenda? Listen, this is, if this sounds like a message of work harder or do more, I've completely failed. Because the whole point of this message is 2 Corinthians 8, chapter 9. For Jesus, listen, listen, listen to this as we close. For Jesus, although he was rich, as the King of kings and Lord of lords, as the one who was holding heaven and earth in his hands, although he was rich, as God's blessed eternal son, although he was rich, Jesus, it's Jesus who became poor. I mean, it's Jesus who, who became poor by emptying himself of all that glory of emptying himself of that rightful place by his father who emptied himself and and he took on flesh and he was born in a stable with a smell of manure. It was Jesus who, who became so poor. He says, I don't even have a place to lay my head. It was Jesus who had become so poor that at his death, all that he had was this one piece of garment that was gambled away. It was Jesus who had become so poor and thirst so much and become so poor, becoming our sin and our wrath. It was Jesus who, who in poverty would hang naked on the cross. Why would he give up such wealth? Why would he go to such depth? Why would he experience such poverty? So that those of us who are poor, poor in spirit, who have nothing to offer to a holy God, poor who deserve God's wrath, could be in Christ Jesus now and forevermore made rich. 
in Christ Jesus, rich as his sons and daughters, rich with an inheritance that will never fade away, rich with our sins forgiven, rich with Christ's righteousness robed around us, rich in Christ Jesus. And we respond to that. What's going to tell you you're rich or poor? Your bank account? Your circumstances? Or your God? You see, these folks from Macedonia tasted a depth of Jesus in the gospel that changed all things. May we drink deeply, deeply too. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much that you don't just come as God. You could do this and say, hey, you know what? I'm demanding of you and I want you to give and I'm going to take from you and um, I just want you to just give, give, give because I'm a demanding God. No, 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 God. I thank you for the reality that you're just a giving, giving, giving God, not a demanding, demanding, demanding God. But because you give, give, give and we're your people and because you have shown us through your son that, that the way to live is to empty ourselves and to live and give ourselves to God and to his kingdom. Father, because you love us and you're yours, and this is the church of Jesus Christ, would we get this, God? I just confess in my life and I believe in this church that's, is that we don't do this because there's so many possessions that we're holding tightly to. Because we just haven't gotten to that point where we really can say, blessed is the poor in spirit. God, humble us. God, I, I pray you don't humble us in a way that's by guilt, but I pray it's by love. I pray that you'd show us Jesus again and the beauty and the riches of what we have in him. And our life would be nothing more than a response to him. Thank you, Jesus, that in you, we have life. In you, we have forgiveness. In you, we have riches that will never fade. He who is no fool, who loses what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose, Jim Elliott said. And may we who have gained what we cannot lose in Christ Jesus, freely give what we cannot keep. For the glory of Christ we pray. Amen.